You guys ready? I think so. Yep, me too. (laughs) God's going to do something this morning. We're going to end with a time at the Lord's table. And we're going to make a table around this sanctuary. We're going to find a spot and take our communion together to sum up what God's going to do. And we're going to leave here changed. God's going to speak things, things that are to come. And we're going to get to walk in the calling that he's called us. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at the letter in 2 Peter. Peter writes a letter to a church. And we're going to look at part of that letter. And I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you in here have ever questioned your calling? Just a few honest people this morning. Without raising your hand. There are some of you in here who doubt that you're called. And so this morning, we're going to look at how to confirm our calling, how to walk in our calling, and how to be reminded of our calling in seasons where we don't feel called. And so if we could stand as a church, I want to read through the scriptures together to give reverence to the word of God as it is read out loud. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter through 15, and then we're going to go back, look at a few things, take of the Lord's table, and we're going to leave here equipped with what God wants to do this morning. Amen? Amen. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed, From his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask you right now Your Holy Spirit was sent to us to comfort us, but it was also sent to us to reveal truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to begin to reveal truth in our hearts. 
We ask you to take the word, which is the seed, and plant it deep within us. We ask you to protect it, to cover it, to nourish it, and let it begin to produce fruit in our lives. Help us to hear your word and to become doers of it. We yield to every divine appointment that you have for us this week. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The Bible is not just one book, it's 66 books. And we have to understand what each book is as we read it. I don't know about you, but if you receive an acceptance letter from a college, you're not going to just read one sentence. You're going to read it top to bottom. If you're in a relationship and your loved one sends you a letter, you're not going to just read a few lines. You're going to read it from beginning to end. And so this morning, we don't have time to go through the entire letter, but we're going to take a section out of it, and we're going to apply it to what God is doing in New England and in our nation. But I also believe that there's things he wants to do in individuals this morning. Why? Because God told me that. There's things that, he want, that's things that he's doing that are so big that we have to yield to his spirit. His word speaks to us where we are. This letter was written many years ago, but it still applies to us to this day. We look at the life of Peter and we see such a transformative life, what happened in his life. He was called as a young boy, as a fisherman, to change the world. And we see through his life a transformation of walking in relationship with Jesus. What I love is it seems like through the Gospels we hear a lot about Peter. But towards the end of his life, scholars actually say there's not a whole lot they know of what Peter was doing. And that's how it should be in our lives. We look at John the Baptist and one of the most famous quotes that he said. He said, I must decrease so that he may increase. And that should be the cry of our lives. The longer we live, we need to die so that Christ can live in us. Because there's things that he wants to accomplish in and through us. And that's powerful, isn't it? He uses vessels like us to accomplish his purpose for the kingdom. And if we can yield to his spirit, then we become so effective where we are. And we want to be effective, amen? No one wakes up and says, I want to be ineffective this morning. No one wakes up and says, I want to be unfruitful this morning. We want to be effective for the things of God. And so Peter writes this beautiful letter to a church who is facing persecution. And first Peter, we see uh, him writing to this letter of, of, of these new Christians who are coming out of a world of sin and coming into the church, and God is changing and transforming their lives. And how many of you know, those who are Christians in here, once you begin walking according to the word, that the people who you came out of in the world begin to notice a difference in your life. Amen? They begin to see a change in your life. For some, they like the change, but for many, you became weird to them. And that's what Peter writes. He's that real. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he talks about when we leave the life of partying, drinking parties, sexual, all these things, he says that your friends are first shocked at the change in your life, and then it says they begin to malign you, they begin to mock you. There is a persecution that comes with a relationship with Jesus. God has good things for us, but we have to be willing to surrender our reputation. We have to be willing to die to our flesh so that Christ can live in us. And so he writes this second letter to this church who is thriving. There was actually a point where there was a uh, Roman emperor who he was written a letter from a governor in the Roman consul, and he was talking about this Christian group. And he was talking about how they were not, um, they were not pushing for the things of Rome and that they were, they were rebels. And so he actually wrote a letter asking how he could stomp out this Christian movement. 
asking the emperor on how to do that. What I love is this man died, and not only did the church continue to thrive in persecution, it grew and it stayed steady in the midst of that persecution. Amen? How many of you know that you can remain firm no matter what comes your way? But the Spirit of God has got to be living in you. And so Paul writes this beautiful letter to encourage us. How many of you need encouragement this morning? We need to be encouraged in our walk. You need to know that when you live according to the standards of this word, that God is doing things in your life. And when we press into the things of him, there's a knowing that can come from being in a relationship with him. You know, I was, I was praying and the Lord was telling me, there's a friend of mine who is a businessman. And because we are in a relationship, I was driving with him and he began telling me things that he wanted to do, uh, bu other businesses that he wanted to open up. This was not knowledge of anyone else other than him and his wife. But because of the relationship with me, him and I, there was a trust. I got to know some of the things on his heart that he wanted to do. And I believe in the same way, there's things that God wants to do in your family. And he wants to speak things about that. But we don't know what God is going to do if we don't have that relationship. So there's a knowledge that comes from being in relationship with Jesus. A practical knowledge, not just of his word, but of what God wants to do in our area. God began speaking to us about things that he wants to do <clears throat> in our region. We believe that revival is already birthing in New England, but also around the nation. And we believe that with the, even with this election coming up, there's going to be a lot of fear, a lot of frustration, a lot of, well, if this person doesn't get in, or if th there's going to be a lot of that. But how many of you know that the church of God is going to thrive no matter who takes leadership? And we are going to see a move of God across this nation like never before. And I want to be plugged in and connected to the things of God. I want to know what God is doing so that I can pray through it and I can be exactly where I need to be for my family. Amen? And so Peter begins this letter, and he starts off saying that his divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. I've lived in the world even though I was going to church in my younger years. I've tasted of the things of the world. And, you know, unfortunately, the things of the world taste good. Amen? And so and when we dabble in those type of things, we begin to have an appetite for those type of things. But how many of you know that there's a divine power that has been granted to us? Divine means spoken of the only true God. And power means a strength power. It's a power resting upon armies. It's a miraculous power. So there is a divine power that is active in our lives, active in the church that we can take a hold of, and it has the things that pertain to life. Life means, in the Greek, it means vitality. It means what makes your DNA when you get up in the morning, whether you, you are, are, are moping around or you are in that place where you have vitality because of, of what you know and what God is speaking. And so we can choose how we're going to wake up, amen, despite our circumstances. And we can take a part of that divine power that to us. He's given to us. It pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge, say knowledge, of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And this is where I want to rest on for a second, because there is nothing that we can do. We did not choose Christ. He chose us. We cannot have a revelation of the things of God unless the Holy Spirit reveals it. And he's looking for people who are hungry for that revelation. And what I love is I wouldn't vote for me. You know, maybe in high school and when we played dodgeball and gym, I'd vote for me. But how many of you know when you get older and the things in life and there's things that you want to do, you look at your weaknesses, you look at your lack, you look at what you're not equipped with. And some of you in here this morning would not vote for yourself to lead anything. 
but God already voted for us. That word glory literally means opinion, judgment, and view. So God has an opinion of you because he knows who you are. He knows that when his word comes in you and it comes alive in you, what you're going to be able to accomplish through what Jesus has done. So it's not about casting your vote for yourself. Honestly, there's a lot of people in leadership, not just in the church, but around the world, who are in positions because they got themselves there. They, 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 they went behind closed doors. They paid things underhanded, and they're in positions because they put themselves in there. But how many of you know it doesn't matter who puts themselves in positions, that it is God who turns the hearts and kings like a water course. And so we don't have to look at our vote. It says that through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. So he has already made a judgment. He already views you through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that word excellent, it means high moral standard of thought, feeling, or action. That means when he looks at you in your mess, in your frustrations, in your sin, he's looking at you with a high standard because of the work of Jesus and what he's done in your life. Amen? So it's not about your past. It's not about what you're trying to get away from. It's about looking and focusing on Jesus and letting that be your confidence. Amen? We can't be confident in the things of God and what he wants to do in our lives unless we have that perspective. God has picked us. He has called you to do great things. And it's through that knowledge, it's through that relationship where we come into a place of confidence of what he's going to do. Amen? He goes on to say, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine. We see that word divine again. That divine means spoken of the only true God. We have a lot of voices in our culture. We have a lot of things that are speaking to us, that are calling our name, that are calling for our attention. But it is only the divine power and it is only the divine nature, the only one true God, that when we hear that voice, when we come to know who he is, that we become come to walk, we begin to walk in the plans and the purpose that he has for us where we become effective. Amen? We can work as hard as we can and accomplish great things. But when the Spirit of God comes on us and we understand the calling on our lives, it, the Holy Spirit comes on us and we see an acceleration in everything that we touch. Whether you are a business owner, whether you serve in a church, whether you, wherever you work, there's a plan and a purpose and God wants to begin to talk to you about things that are going to begin to happen. Amen? He goes on to say, having escaped from the corruption. That word escaped means to flee from. The word corruption means destruction, perishing, eternal misery in hell. When God called me, when God called you, we've fled from the pathway to hell. We don't have to live in misery in eternity because of what Jesus did, and we have to remember that. And it says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That word sinful desire is, means lust, and what it means is it is a desire and craving for what is forbidden. Each one of us have a desire and a craving in us for what is forbidden. And it started with Adam in the garden. God created this perfect scenario, and he had to create a tree of choice because there's no relationship if there's no free will. Adam made a choice. Eve made a choice. They saw something and craved for what was forbidden. And we have to learn how to stomp that craving out because the lust of the flesh can take over us and we can find ourselves in a place we never thought we'd be in because we've slowly tasted a part of those things. I've shared this testimony before, but I'll share it again. When I, years ago, I used to work at uh, an Italian restaurant and 
it was an amazing restaurant. Everything was homemade, from the bread to the croutons to, oh my goodness, it was so good. And at that season of my life, I just, I liked the same thing. So when I worked at the restaurant, I would walk across the street to a gas station, and I would get those hot dogs that are on those rollers. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And those hot dogs, who knows how long they could stay there. They had these ones called, they were cheeseburger dogs. And they looked shriveled, like from the World War III, you know, World War II and one. I mean, they were so charred, and they would inject cheese down the middle of it. And we would go and get it, and I'd bring it back into the restaurant, and I would be eating it. And my boss, who was the owner, uh, his name was Joe, he'd look at me with disgust. And he said, how can you bring that into my restaurant? You're an employee in my restaurant, and you have an employee discount. You actually are higher up where you can get free meals, and you're going to bring that food into my restaurant. And me and the, prep, the other prep cook, we'd go back, and we'd keep coming back. We'd bring back burgers and shrink wrap. How many of you know if a burger is in sealed plastic, it's been there for a long time, and it's been preserved for a very long time, but it tasted so good. My boss would never eat, just to look at it, and he wanted to go in the back room and throw up. But I remember I began to start tasting things in the restaurant. One of the first things that I tasted, I never thought I would taste, was calamari. And I was a prep cook, and I would have to prepare it. And I would literally be cutting the bodies off of the tentacles. And I'd be thinking, the sick people who came into this restaurant and eat this kind of stuff as I'm biting my cheeseburger dog that's charred and shriveled. And I remember one of the dishes that we had was a fra diavolo. And what it was is they'd take the fresh calamari and toss it in a batter. They'd put it in the deep fryer. And then they would toss it. And, and, and the fra diavolo sauce was basically a spicy marinara. And they would toss it in it. And I remember the first time I tasted it, it was like the heavens opened. And <laughs> I'll tell you, when I began to taste the things at that restaurant, I did not go back to that gas station anymore. I began tasting new things. I began bringing things home for my mom. And it was such an amazing experience. And so what Peter is writing here, he's saying that the world, there's a sinful desire, there's a lust of the world, and we have that appetite in us. But we have to learn how to change our appetite for the things of God. And there's ways that we can do that. One way is you've got to stop crossing the street and going to that gas station to take part of that food. You've got to cut those things out. The other part of it, you've got to start tasting more of the things of God. And so if you're here this morning, and maybe you feel like, you know what, I know that God calls people, but I don't feel like he calls me. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you have been called by God, but you're doubting that calling because you're not seeing fruit, evident fruit in your life. Begin tasting more and more of the things of God. So what does that look like? It means continuing to pray, being in the word of God, finding that secret place in your house where you get up in the morning and the first thing that you do is not check your phone, not check your social status and, and what people are talking about in the news, but you, the first thing that you do before your feet hit that ground is you open up that word of God and you get into the word of God. And I promise you, you begin doing and shifting things like that, then you're going to start having a hunger for the things of God. Coming on Wednesday nights and con connecting in a life group. You know, some, some churches, they've done away with a midweek service. And so we have a midweek service because we know that your weeks are hard. We need a, a pick-me-up. We need a, a thing to come to where we can be real with one another, where we open up the word of God. We open up our lives. We share what God is doing and we leave encouraged because there are divine appointments Monday and Tuesday of this week for you. And those divine appointments, the attacks of the enemy that come, you're going to be weary. 
And so you come Wednesday, you get refreshed, you get renewed. Why? Because Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, there are divine appointments. Saturday, there are divine appointments. There's things that God is putting into action where if you begin to know what God is doing, you're going to know where to be and at the right time, and God's going to use you to be effective for his kingdom. Amen? We have to curve our appetites. We have to hunger for the things of God. Amen? Look what he goes on to say. Verse 5. For this reason, make every effort. Everybody say every effort. To supplement your faith with virtue. Supplement means to furnish. When you move into a new place, you bring your old stuff in there. But how many of you know sometimes when you move into a new place or you paint your old place, you start looking at the old stuff and you're like, we need to get new stuff. And so you, you, maybe you have an extra room when you've moved and so you go and you, you furnish that room. Or when you go to the gym and you want to you wanna build muscle, you, you take supplements to help your body to take in things so that you can grow stronger. And so Peter is writing here, he's saying to supplement, to furnish, furnish your faith. Faith isn't the faith that that Peter had when he got out of the boat and came to Jesus. This is a faith talking about a conviction of truth. So we have to supplement, we have to furnish our conviction of truth. So how do we do that? You've got to put things in your life that are going to have truth, the truth of the gospel remain. How many of you know that truth out there is relative to a lot of people? The world will make truth what they want it to be. That's why in the school systems, that's why in our culture, things are so, and it's not just in America, it's around the world. When we make truth relevant, we put our opinion on what truth is to be. And how many of you know things start to get messy when we do that? There is an objective truth in the word of God. There is a conviction of truth that we have to live by in our life. Amen? When we started homeschooling our girls, we saw what was being taught in the schools. We, and it's not that if your kids are in public school that God can't use them, but we felt personally that with where they were, we, we knew that things were being taught that weren't of God. And so we decided for a season to just homeschool them because we wanted to give them truth. We want to give them light. We have to fight for things to keep that conviction of truth alive. Amen? So, P, so Peter is saying to furnish your conviction of truth with virtue. Virtue means a high standard of thought, feeling, or action. We have to live by a high standard. Amen? Sometimes it's hard to live by that standard. We have to teach the young generation to live by that standard. Amen? We have to be careful that we have a gate in our eyes and our ears. What we watch, what we listen to can affect that conviction of truth to where you're going to start speaking stuff that make no sense. How many of you in here have people in your life where they just make no sense? You're like, what are you even saying? I have someone in my life who was like that, and I sit there and I listen to them, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, this person has no idea what they are talking about because they've lost that conviction of truth because they've, they've had an appetite for the things of the world. So they're taking part of things in the world, and, it, and it, what it does is it breaks that conviction of truth. We have to maintain that high standard in our life. Amen? Amen. Gino Ariyama, who is one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time for men and women, he coaches the UConn women's basketball team. His record is unbelievable. He went, I think it was three or four years without losing a game, where there were girls who came to his school and came to that college, and they did not taste losing a game for most of their career. The standard that he holds his girls to on that team 
are amazing. When I coached girls varsity basketball for four years, I remember I called up UConn University thinking, oh man, maybe I can get in and, and watch the practice and take some notes and see what I can do. So I called the school thinking, man, maybe I'll get some favor. And a lady picked up and I said, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm so-and-so, I coach at uh, PVCA Academy. And I was wondering, could, I, could you sneak me into one of the practices so I could see what they're doing? She goes, sure, you can come. And I thought, wow, that was easy. She goes, we have coaches come all the time. And I'm sitting there like, wow. She said, yeah, there's coaches that come from all over and they sit in the practices because they think that Gino Ariyama has this secret recipe or this secret drill that gets him to be so effective. But he said something in one of his interviews that was so profound. He said this. He said, most teams will practice a drill until they get it right. We practice a drill so that we can't get it wrong. And the standard that he holds his girls to, when you go to his school, you cannot be on social media. You have to cut your social media out from the start of the first practice to the end of the last game. You cannot be on it. I have a girl who I know, we know, I won't say her name, but I met her and I worked with her. She got a full scholarship. Gino Ariyama sat with her. She was that good at basketball and wanted her to come to his team. She lived a different lifestyle and she, she said no to him. And she ended up getting a full ride to Providence College, which still has a great basketball program, still Division I. She got a full ride, and she is unbelievable at basketball. But she told me this. She said he was too strict. The standards of that school were too strict. I'm not condemning her and saying you should have gone. What I'm saying and why I'm sharing that this morning is there is a high standard of God's word that if we can live by it and we can abide by it, we can become so effective and we can have victory wherever we go. Amen? Amen? We have to fight for that. And so Peter says, to furnish your conviction of faith with a high standard. And then he goes on to say, and virtue with knowledge. That word knowledge we see twice. In the first verse that we read in chapter 3, we see the word knowledge, which means epignosis. That means a precise and correct knowledge. It's used in the Old Testament of the knowledge of things ethical and divine. So there's a knowledge that we have to live by, by the divine power, where our ethics are shaped by that knowledge. And that knowledge comes from knowing Jesus Christ. But here, the knowledge here, it's a different phrase. It's a different word. It's gnosis, which just means simply understanding. So he's taking us down this pathway where we have to make every effort to furnish our conviction of faith with a high standard, with understanding, with knowledge. And in verse 6, and knowledge with self-control. You know, that word self-control means this. It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially in his sensual appetites. We live in a very, very sex-saturated culture. There was a statistic, and this was maybe 15 years ago, that teenagers will see up to, I don't know how many thousand sexual references a day on social media, billboards, or different advertisements. These are things that they're subtly seeing and they don't even realize it. You know, our two daughters, who you guys know, many of you have maybe talked to our oldest, Madeline, and she has what we call, we like to call the stink eye. So if you ever talk to her, and please don't everyone go run and do it just to try and see it. But if you begin to talk to her about something, she does this thing where she'll cock her eyes over this way. And she'll be thinking and processing. And so I remember when she first went to school, she was in pre-K, we had a parent-teacher conference. 
And, uh, and you, know, you know how nervous that is sometimes you're sitting there trying to see how good or bad your kid is in the school. And everything was going good, but then we heard a but. And we're like, oh, here it is. And she, the teacher said to us, she goes, there's one thing that kind of troubles me with Madeline. And we're like, oh, what could this be? She's like, I noticed that every time we have our circle time and I'm talking or reading a book, she's giving me this stink eye. And I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. And we just looked at each other and we busted out laughing. We said it has nothing to do with you. That's just her look. That's what she does. And so what we've noticed is Abigail, who has come behind her, didn't have that growing up. But now, yesterday, I was sitting on the couch, and we're watching, um, how many of you uh, ever watched Bob Ross? Remember the painter? So relaxing. I used to fall asleep to him, but the older you get, you realize this man was a genius. Like, he's the most wholesome thing on TV. So anyway, for those of you who don't know, he's a painter. So we were, there was this live thing, and we were watching this painting, and I looked over to Abigail, and I'm like, look what he's drawing over here. And all of a sudden, she cocks her eyes, and she's watching, and I'm like, she did not, she was not born with that, but she spent so much time with her sister that she developed that, that trait and that habit. So what we don't realize is that when we live in a sex-saturated culture and we are seeing things constantly through social media, through movies, through, if we aren't careful to raise the standard in our own lives, that appetite will begin to grow. You might go from just saying this is okay for me to before you know it, the standard of life now in America is you can sleep around with whoever you want, whenever you want. You can sleep with people outside of marriage. Marriage is something that has been ordained by God. And what the enemy has done is he taints, he twists what God created that is good and he twists it. There is a pornography epidemic that is through our nation, not just for men, but women. Their pornography is so prevalent on devices. Parents, I plead with you, when you give your kids a phone, you have no idea the porthole that that is, that, that is in to all kinds of things. Technology is not a bad thing. I love technology. I love going to the Apple store. Tara hates it. Every time we go to Providence Place, we walk by, I go in. Most of the time, I don't buy things. I just like looking at the technology. So I'm for technology, but I've realized that even in my own life, there's things that I've had to cut out because I've realized that it's beginning to develop an appetite, a lust for the things of the world. And when we begin to take a part of that lust and those, those things of the flesh, then our moral convictions, our things begin to change. Our standards begin to lower. And so we've got to fight, not just for our ourselves individual. We've got to fight for that young generation. So we have to raise up the moral conviction in our lives by learning how to live a pure life, learning how to have self-control. We can have control over those appetites by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't have to savagely be engaged in all those things. You know, we think that the sexual things of this world now in this culture were just now. It, it didn't change in the Bible days. There were men who would come home who would leave the ship and they'd be at, in, at the sea for months at a time and they'd come home and they'd go to their wives and there was a temple where there would be women who had no clothes who would be enticing these men to come in and to, to ruin the marriage. And so these were people, men who were a part of a church. How do you learn how to live pure in a culture that is so saturated with sexual things? Psalm 119.9, how can a young man or woman be pure. It's by living according to the word. There's standards and things in here that God will teach us how to live by. We've got to cut those things out. I love YouTube. 
I used to love social media, but for me personally, I had to cut it out of my life. I haven't had it in over a decade. It doesn't mean that once in a while I'll go on terrors to catch up with friends, but for me personally, I had a severe addiction to pornography in my past, and it ruined relationships. It ruined things in my life. And so when I wanted to get deliverance from that, I had to get counseling. I had to walk through things with my pastor. I had to deal with roots in my lives and have them pulled out. But when, how many of you know when God pulls things out of your life, there's still things that you have to shift in your own life. There's still things that you have to do in your life to make sure that you don't go back to those things. And so one of the things for me is I'm cutting out social media. I am not giving the enemy a foothold, a platform where he can do that. For some of you, it needs to be movies. We think, well, this movie is okay. You don't realize that there are things that are put into movies on purpose to begin to feed that appetite. And before you know it, you may think, well, I'm not addicted to that or I'm not in this. There will be a time where if you feed that appetite over time, you're going to go from there to here, and you're going to wonder when you're here how you ever got there from there. So we have to ask God, what are the things that I need to cut out in my life so that I don't feed in and I can live a life of self-control? Amen? So he goes on to say, are you guys with me? You guys still good? So he says, supplement, furnish your conviction of truth with a high standard and that high standard with knowledge, with understanding, with self-control. And he says with self-control, with steadfastness. Everybody say steadfastness. This is what that word means. Let's see if this speaks to anybody. It means endurance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to his faith by even the greatest trial. That's what it means. It means a man or woman who is not swerved from his or her deliberate purpose and his loyalty to his faith by even the greatest trial. So these are qualities that Peter is teaching us. How do we confirm our calling? We live in these qualities. How do I live with endurance? Polycarp is one of my favorite, favorite people to read about. For those of you who've never heard of him, Polycarp was a bishop. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and he became a martyr. He died for his faith. And I want to share just quickly how that happened. So in the time where Rome was the, like America, people say America is the world power right now. Rome was the world power at this time. And so they were going after Christians to kill them for their faith. So Polycarp was hiding out. He was hiding in a farmhouse. And the Roman police got a tip from someone of where he was hiding. And so they sent people to his house. They were going to arrest him, but they were going to give him an opportunity to denounce his faith. And so they walked into the house not knowing what to expect. And when they walked into the house, Polycarp was up in a room praying. And when they came to take him, he asked them if they were hungry. And he fed them a meal. And the people who were going to take him to kill him sat and ate a meal till they were full. And he said, I know that you have to take me, but if you could just grant me one hour to pray. And they granted it to him. And he stood there and he prayed out loud for two hours. It got to the point where there was such a conviction on these police that they said, why are we coming to take this man? And by the way, he was 86 years old at the time. And so they were so convicted that they had to take him that they began to plead with him and say, just denounce your faith. Just give credit to Caesar and we won't take you to where we have to take you. And he remained, he said, I cannot do that. So they loaded him in the carriage and it says that the whole time they were in the carriage on their way to the arena where he was going to be 
killed, it says that they begin to plead with him. Just, why do you have to have this mindset? Just denounce God quickly and, and give hail to Caesar, and this can be over. And it said that he sat quiet, and to the point where they couldn't convince him anymore. So finally it got to the point where they got angry with him. It says that they pushed him out of the carriage, and he banged his shin, and he turned and looked at them. And they began to say, he began to hear the noise of the crowd. Now, I don't know about you, but to remain steadfast in your faith when you hear the shouting of the crowd, and this was not a shout for him. This was a shout because they wanted to see bloodshed from the Christians. And they tried one more time as they brought him into the arena. And they said, denounce your faith, and, or we're going to throw you to the lions, and we're going we're to watch them rip you apart. You know what he said? He said, bring them on. Let God's will be done. They said, if you don't denounce your faith, we're going we're gonna to nail you to a post and we're going to burn you. And he said, and I don't, I don't want to mess up the wording, but he, he basically said, the fire that, that you're going to do with me has nothing to the fire that's going to come, the coming judgment of the fire. He said, fine. They began going to, to places and getting kindling from different businesses. And they began to pile wood around him. And they went to nail him to the stake. And he told them, please don't nail me to the stake. He said, because what they would do is they would have to nail the Christians or the people to the stake because when the fire came, they would try and get off and run. He said, the same God is going to give me endurance to stand in the fire and not move a muscle. So it says that they bound his hands. They tied him to the post and they put the, 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 the wood around him. And they said they lit the fire. And they said it was like a miracle. The fire began to swirl around him like a wall. It didn't touch him, and instead of his body being charred, they said they began to smell a sweet fragrance and incense that came from him. And it said that he wasn't dying, and so the people became frustrated. They started adding more fire, and, and nothing was happening. So they said they, they called for daggers. They said, we're going to stab him. So they began to throw daggers and stab him. They said the blood that poured out from him, it was quoted that he said, every drop of blood that touches the ground, a thousand more will rise up just like me. And the blood that was coming out from his body put the fire out. One of the things that Polycarp said is when they said to denounce him, he said, 80 and six years I have served my God and he has done me no wrong. That's what he said. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? There is a steadfastness and endurance that the Christian believer can have through every circumstance. Amen? There will be persecution when you pick up your cross. There's victory but there's persecution. For you young ones, when you grab a hold of what God wants for you, there is a persecution that comes, and sometimes it's a dying of your reputation. You may think you have a certain status, and if you sell out for God, then you're going to lose that status. But as the scriptures say, what's the purpose if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? Amen? We have to grab a hold of the principles and the things of God. Amen? He goes on to say, with godliness. Godliness just means a reverence, a deep respect for someone or something. So again, Peter is saying, supplement, furnish your conviction of truth with a high standard, with knowledge or understanding, with self-control, a control over the sexual uh, lusts of this world, with steadfastness, with endurance, and then he goes on to say with steadfastness, with godliness, with a deep respect for the things of God. How many of you know it's hard to hurt people in your life when you have a deep respect for them? I'm not saying we're perfect, but when we do hurt the people in our lives, there's a, there's a deep uh, conviction in us because of that level of respect, amen? So you want to live this con confirmation of what God is doing in your life. You've got to learn how to respect the things of God. 
so that when you do struggle, when you do fail, we can come to him, we can ask for forgiveness, and then he forgets what we did. But we never want to lose that conviction. Amen? And lastly, he says in verse 7, in godliness with brotherly affection. This literally means the love of brothers and sisters. In the New Testament, it's the love which Christians care for one another as brothers in Christ. We have a church where there's so many amazing people who care for one another. When Tara and I first came here, the love that you guys showed us, our family, was unbelievable. I remember visiting this church in 2007 and being at that altar, and I've shared this before. And it was the testimony of Pastor Maureen, who's counting, and Kelly, who I met them for the first time because I was dating uh, Tara. And the kindness that they showed to me, the love that they, they didn't know who I was, they didn't know my past, they didn't know what I was coming from and what I was dealing with, but the kindness that they showed, showed to me drew me to this church. And it's amazing that this many years later, I'm here with my family serving and serving with them at this church. You have no idea what brotherly affection. People need kindness in their life. They need to know that they're loved. Peter goes on to say it's not just about brotherly affection. Look what he says in the end of verse 7. And brotherly affection with love. Now, you know that there's different words for love in the Bible. There's storge, which in the Greek means it's an empathy bond. Then we have philia, which is it's a friendship bond. And then we have eros, E-R-O-S, which is a romantic love. And here is agape love. This is an unconditional love. So as, if we want to confirm our calling and walk in what God has for us, we have to learn how to walk in agape love. If you're married, that's what the God teaches you how to have agape love. Agape love is loving people even when you don't have the emotions with it. Many of you know the longer you walk in relationship with people, sometimes feelings are going to come out. You're, that person's going to annoy you. I had a Bible, a friend who was my roommate in Bible school, and we, we got along great because we had our own sides. And it was limited. I knew that we weren't in Bible school for a long time. But he went through a time in his life where he was going through something, so he ended up living. He came and we opened up our home to him. So he lived with Tara and I for two years. Two years we had him in our house. And let me tell you, there were times where I wanted to send him back to Bible school. There was times where I wanted to go back to Bible school. There's times where I needed to go back to Bible school. But agape love is not a love based on emotions. And that's what the world doesn't know. That's, just, that's what Hollywood doesn't teach. People get married left and right because they fall out of love or the emotions aren't there. But there is a love that Christ wants to develop in us that's a love that's not based on emotions. That means no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run from God, no matter your deepest, darkest sin, no matter your anger towards God, no matter what you've said in secret places, no matter what you've done in secret places, there is a love that you cannot get away from that God has for your life, and it is an unconditional agape love in your life. Amen? And when we can begin to walk in that in our own lives, you wouldn't believe the effectiveness of the relationships that are around you. There may be times where you are with your wife and you don't feel like you love her, but you still do the, the actions that come with it. You still go on dates. You still, and then God will light that fire again. The emotions will come back again. You don't get out of relationships because you don't feel love. You stay in it because you know that God is love. Amen? Are you guys with me? Let's go to verse 8. Verse 8, and this is where we're going to begin to wrap things up. Peter says, for if these qualities, everybody say qualities, are yours 
and are increasing. Say increasing. That word increasing or ineffective means useless, lazy, or barren. So how do you want to know your confirmation, your calling with God? We become useless in our lives without these qualities. So how do we measure our Christian walk? We take a tape measure with these qualities and put it next to our life. Am I living without self-control? Am I living with a hatred towards others? If you are, these qualities need to be abounding so that there's a fruit that comes from your life. You become effective for the things of God. He goes on to say, unfruitful. The word unfruitful in the Greek means not yielding what it ought to yield. Pastor Richard shared a story, was it last week, where he was talking about the boy who tied apples into the tree, remember? And then his father came in and said, there's a miracle. We have apples growing from a pear tree. <laughs> we can sometimes in life yield things that we aren't meant to yield. In my life, when I was running from God, well, not really running, I was still a part of the church, but kind of just putting a mask on. I was doing things that I wasn't called to do, saying things that I wasn't called to say, being with people I wasn't called to be with. When we aren't abounding in these qualities, we begin yielding fruit that we weren't meant to yield. So when we are at our workplaces and we are around people, they have nothing to draw from us. It's all about having something that people can draw from. When you walk into a room, the atmosphere changes. When you walk into a room, the atmosphere shifts. Some people might not know why, some people might know why, but when you walk into a room, things shift because you're abounding in these qualities. He goes on to say, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the, what's that word again? Knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, that word in the Greek means to close the eyes. Sometimes we just want to close our eyes to the things of God. We want to close our eyes to the conviction. I've done that before. I've been in services growing up where I, I knew I was living a wrong life. And I, was, I remember being in a relationship I shouldn't have been in. I should not have been in it. And I, I was hearing messages and I had friends telling me, you should not be in that relationship. And I shut my, my, my eyes to that. And I ended up getting very hurt in that relationship. And I thank God that I have a mom who is very blunt. I remember I had her over for a date. We were watching a movie, and my mom came out. This is before we started the movie. She came out, and she said, she said to my girlfriend, you're not supposed to be dating him. And she walked out. Like, what do you do with that? Seriously. You can't come back from that. It's, and the relationship dissolved. The word of God, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> Tara says hallelujah. <laughs> the word of God will point a light into areas in your life, and you have to allow it to do that. Because what, what Peter goes on to say is he says, whoever lacks these qualities, so if we aren't growing in these qualities, you've become, you've shut your eyes, and it says that he is blind. And you know what blind in the Greek means? It means blind. It means you can't see having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. We forget what we were brought out of. We forget what we were cleansed from. 
And then I love what he goes on to say. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to, what's that word? Confirm. confirm. Everybody say confirm. That word confirm means stable or firm. And this is where, this is it right here. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. You know what that word calling means? We think the calling means, oh, I'm going to be a, a preacher, a missionary. The word calling means of the divine invitation to embrace the salvation of God. We think that the calling is about what we do. But the calling is not about what we do. It's about living and what he's done. That is the calling. I want to be secure in my faith, knowing that I have that invitation. And the enemy will lie to you saying that you are no longer a Christian. When you struggle with your thoughts, you struggle with the habits of the past, he'll tell you you're on your way to hell now. You have, you've given up the calling on your life. But what Peter is saying, I'm going to keep telling you about this calling that is on your life. This election, which means choosing or picking out. We can't look at it ourselves. I used to think that I found Jesus. So then it's like I did something. But I didn't find Jesus. He found me in my mess, in my junk. And he pulled me out of that junk. He cleaned me off and he called me. I accepted that invitation. There's some of you this morning who need to accept that invitation. It's so simple. You don't find Jesus. He finds you. That's why you're here this morning. And we're going to come to the Lord's table and end the service by coming to the communion table. An invitation of being at the table with Jesus. And the relationship with Jesus is amazing, isn't it? All right, let's land the plane. He goes on to say, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Look at verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what's awesome about that word kingdom? It has nothing to do with an actual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. Listen to this. It's not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. There are people who are in positions who put themselves into the positions. Just because you're in a position doesn't mean you have the authority. But with Jesus, not only do, do we get the kingdom, he gives us the authority to rule over that. And we have that now. Parents, you have that authority to rule over your kingdom, in your home, your marriage. Those who are single, you have that authority to rule over that in your life because God has given it to you. Amen? And this is where it takes a turn. So remember, Peter's writing a letter, right? Look what he says in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He's encouraging the church, saying, I know that you know these, but I'm going to remind this. Those with kids, how many of you have to remind your kids? All the time. And then you feel bad because you remind them all the time. Don't ever feel bad because you have to keep reminding of the simple things. We should never get to a point in our lives where when we sit in a service and we think that's too basic. It's the basic things that keep the appetite for the things that God wants so that you become effective and fruitful. So what is preached up here, we should every week be coming with an expectancy to eat, to take part because we need it. And Paul is saying here, therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities. In verse 13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. 
since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. This is where you see his heart in the letter. There's a scripture in John 21 where Jesus tells Peter, when you were young, you used to go where you wanted to go and dress the way that you wanted to be. But there's going to come a time where you're going to be led where you don't want to go. And people are going to stretch out your hands. He told him, this is the way that you're going to die. And you know what the first thing Peter did? He said, what about that disciple? Because we don't, when Jesus tells us something that's heavy or convicting, the first thing we want to do is, well, what about that person? We have to learn how to die. We were watching a, a message with Catherine Kuhlman, and she was preaching this message, and she said, I remember the day, the place, and the hour where Catherine Kuhlman died, and Christ began to live in me. We have to die to our flesh. We have to allow Christ to live through us. I, I was just exactly like Peter, where in the flesh you're like, that's a hard word to take. Well, what about that disciple? And Jesus said, what does it matter? Follow me. What I love is what we just read in this verse, Peter died. He was no longer holding on to the, the temple, the physical body anymore. His life wasn't well known anymore, but he was fulfilling his purpose for God. We have to die to our flesh so that Christ can live in us so that we can be effective. Peter remembered the times where he dishonored God by disowning him three times. He remembered his weaknesses, but he also remembered when Christ restored him because Christ doesn't see us where we are. He sees us where we're going to be and he speaks to us as of that. But you have to know what God is speaking over your life to walk in that confidence. And so he can write in this letter to a church that some scholars say he never even went to or met since I know that putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. We want our life to be a legacy. If Jesus is to tarry, I want what Tara and I have spoken to our girls to be lived out even when God calls us home. There's a moment in Acts where it says that James died. We read over that so fast, but think of the bonding that James and Peter had, that the disciples had, the camaraderie that they had. Well, persecution started rising up and James was beheaded, a sword to his head, life ended. What would that do to you and I if we had to face that persecution? You know what I love is that James lived for Christ and in that moment, he didn't denounce he continued to preach. And the second his head was taken from his body, he opened his eyes and he saw Jesus again. That's what it's about, church. It's about realizing that this life is so temporary. We don't hold on to things. We live according to the standards of that word and effectiveness to the things that God wants to do. And we're gonna see God begin to do things. I wanna share one testimony before I close. You know, that knowledge, something the Lord spoke to me about is that knowledge, sometimes God will speak to us things of knowledge of things in advance. But sometimes we walk through seasons where we don't understand. And when you're obedient to walk in it, then you look back and say, now I know. 
we had an incident at our apartment. And so many of you know the church building on Branch Avenue where the church started. A lot of people think, well, the church moved from there to here. No, it didn't move. The church is still there. We have families that are in that building and God is still using. And the Holy Spirit was moving. And so to be honest, sometimes you're in a place and you're like, why am I here? You have dreams of being somewhere else, but then things happen in your life and you look back, now I know. Now I know why I'm here. I was in my living room and we heard some screaming outside and Cheyenne was praying. She, they live on the second floor. We pray over that community and we saw a car that pulled over and there was a girlfriend who had her boyfriend and he overdosed and was out. And so she pulled the car, just happened to be in front of Branch Ave. She's in the middle of the road screaming for someone to pull over to help her. And so Cheyenne tells Caleb, Caleb calls me, Caleb and I, we run out. We go over and there's a, a young man who's over. There's a man in the, in the front seat with his front seat all the way back. And he's, he's gone, he's out. White over the lips, purple. And he's, he's on the phone with the dispatcher. What, what do we do? Like, he's not breathing, he's not. And so I, I, we go, I go over to the girlfriend and I, I just ask her her name. Is this your boyfriend? Has he overdosed? Yes, yes, tears pouring down. I went into the back seat and you don't know what to do in those moments, but I just put my hand on the man's shoulder. I said, God, don't. Don't allow this life to be taken away. And we see the, the man starts to say he's, he's like snoring, and we could hear like snoring. And, and so the EMTs finally got there. They pulled him out. The girlfriend is just so distraught, and she's overwhelmed. And, and, and so I said, I need to get Tara out here, because as a guy, you don't want to be that in that vulnerable. Like She just needed a hug, and I didn't want to be. So I said, Tara, you need to come out. So she comes out, doesn't even know the situation, Madeline is still up in the apartment. Kelly comes down, stands with her. There, there, there was a tag team of, of God doing something. So Tara comes out and ministers to her, gets to pray with her, invites her to church. And so we're praying that she comes to church. And she texts her back and said, he's alive. He, he made He still needs prayer and we're still praying for them. But let me tell you, when you are plugged into the things of God, sometimes he'll give you a knowledge of things to come and sometimes you just have to walk in it and be obedient and then you look back and you say wow now I know why we were here this morning uh, last night in prayer and brother Douglas I'm gonna I'm gonna anoint you with oil this morning because the Lord said to do it so I want you to stand we uh, many of you know we have intercessory prayer the first Saturday of every month amen and so last night brother Douglas as you were standing I just saw an authority on you and there's gonna be a new anointing for 2024 for these prayer meetings and I prophesy that we are going to see a growth in the intercession prayer meetings. There was such a sweet spirit of God in that prayer meeting. And that is what is going to spark revival. It's not going to be anything that we can do with our hands. It's, it's coming together and praying and believing. And so I believe that we're going to see the intercession meetings begin to grow even more. Because why? People are getting a hunger for the things of the world. Amen? And so we're going to anoint Brother Douglas. And there's going to be the power of God is going to come on you and there's going to be fresh fire that he's going to put on you to lead these intercessory prayer groups. Amen. So can you extend your hands, church? And we're going to be in agreement as we anoint him. Fresh fire over him. He gave such a good word that was needed by so many people and God's going to continue to do that. I believe it's going to be through the prayer groups at Victory that we're going to see an explosion of things in our church. Amen. So by the power of blood and the authority of Jesus, you are anointed with fresh oil right now from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Oh God, we pray that the fire of God will come in him. Fresh oil, fresh anointing, a fresh word every month for what you're speaking and what you're doing. 
God, I pray that you would hold his hands up. You've seen every prayer, every tear that has fallen from this man's eyes. You've heard every prayer that has come out of his lips. And God, we as a church, we will join together and we will see such an explosion of intercessory prayer that's going to lead to so many other things. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we seal it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And so if you guys could get the elements ready, you have them at your seat, we're going to partake of the Lord's table together. something that the Lord spoke to me when we were sitting in the front seat, uh, uh, front chair here last night. He said, to know God is to know what he's done and, to what, and what he's going to do. It's a knowledge of things in advance that is not known to others who aren't as close. There's a knowledge in 2024 that God wants us to tap into and it's going to be in our time with him and he's going to begin to speak things to you, things in advance. He's going to remind you of things maybe in the past. You've walked in things now and you don't understand and you're going to come to a knowledge as to why. That's going to come from relationship with Jesus. John 6, 6, we have this moment where thousands of people are hungry. And in verse 6 of chapter 6 in John, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus is testing us to see if we're going to tap into the supernatural resources of what God wants to do. So when I was sitting here praying, the Lord spoke to me in the intercessory prayer meeting last night. He said, I want you to go to Stop and Shop. So I had, a, I, had a, um, I had to get something for us. And he said, I want you to go to Stop and Shop, and you're going to meet a lady with a red wool hat. And he showed me the red wool hat in my spirit. And in my head, I'm like, this is crazy. Many of you don't know, I used to do like drawing when I was younger, like in art class. I love that. So in my head, I'm like trying to, I'm just a creative mind. And so I'm just thinking crazy things. But he showed me. You go to Stop and Shop. He showed me where I was going to meet her, and I want you to go there. She's in need. So after the intercessory prayer meeting, we're packing up to leave, and in my head, sometimes we think, I've got to get there. But I, got the t but I felt like the Lord said, it's in my timing. So I was able to still talk with people and share things, and I didn't rush, but I got in the car. I went to Stop and Shop. In my head, I'm like, this is crazy, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have a testimony of not hearing from God from this. This is the thoughts that are coming in my head. I walk in the store, and I walk right in, go down the left, and this cart comes out and literally almost hits me in the shin. And it's a lady with a red wool hat, the same one that I saw. And I literally said, oh, my gosh. Like, in my head, I was like, that's the one. But I kind of just walked away. I was like, I'm not ready for this. I need to process this a little more. So I went down one of the other aisles to get what I needed to get, and then I, I was so unfocused on what I needed to get, I was like, all right, now I have to figure out how to, to meet with this woman without her thinking that I'm crazy. And she had an older gentleman with her and two boys. So I walk around the store, and I come back to the place where the Lord had showed me, and she comes out. And I walked up to the man, and I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I said, I serve at a church, and we just had an intercessory prayer meeting, and the Lord told me to come here to pray for a woman with a red wool hat, and this is her. Can I pray for her? And he just, like, okay. Like, he didn't know what to do. And I'm, I had, I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, so I'm just like, Lord, do you want me to pray? And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to just pay for her groceries. 
She had a cart full of groceries. And so I asked her for prayer first, and she kind of said, no, I'm, I'm okay. And I'm like, all right, God, what are you doing? And I said, all right, I knew what I had to do. I said, ma'am, the Lord told me to come here because a woman with a red wool hat was in need, and I want to pay for your groceries today. The two boys were like, these are 9- and 10-year-old boys, like, are you kidding me? Like, they were all just, and she find like, you could see that wall. When I asked for prayer, she was like, no, I'm good. But when I said, I'm going to pay for your, you saw something just fall, like, okay. So I said, what I'm going to do is said, I got to get what I need to get. So I said, I'm going to go do that. You finish what you need to get, and I'll meet you up front. So she's like, okay. And then I can hear the boys in the back, oh my gosh, we can get whatever we want. Let's, and I'm like, God, please. Like, I literally was like, God, please, like. We have credit cards, but I was like, and thankfully I heard the older man say, that's not what he meant. <laughs> so I get what I need to get, and I'm walking in the front of the store, and I know we're a little over time, but you guys don't mind, right? Let me, I just want to finish this story, then we're gonna, we'll finish. We'll take part of communion. And so I'm up front just waiting, and they come down the aisle again, and the two boys, they just started just kind of gravitating towards me, just like this young kid, and their names are amazing, Jonah and Isaiah. So he's walking next to me as we're walking down the front of the store. He's like, so, a priest told you to come and give food to my great-grandmother. And I looked at him, I'm like, yes, the Lord told me to come and give food. And he looked at me, he goes, you have no idea, she has nothing at home. And then they started asking, do you play basketball? Do you, you know, do you? And I said, I used to. I don't play as much as I do. And, and so they went down another aisle, and I walked past the gift card stand. And I look at the Xbox gift card, and I'm like, I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to bless the boys. And I'm like, all right, God. You know, I have no idea what the amount is going to be in that package. But so I reached for, and so I, one of the things I said to the boys, I said, you guys look like you play uh, on a console. I said, what's your console? PlayStation. And they said, PlayStation. We love playing 2K, you know, whatever. I'm like, okay. So they went down another aisle. So I went and reached for the two $25 gift cards of uh, PlayStation, and I just felt like the Lord said abundance. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I went from the 25 to the 50 and just took two off, and I went to the cash register, and I said to the lady, I wanna, I'm going to be paying for this woman's groceries, but I want to get these gift cards for the boys. Can, I, can you ring these up now? So I ring them up, and they come down, and I went over to the... Um, the boy, and it turns out it was their uncle. And so I said, I have two $50 gift cards for PlayStation for your boys. They can get whatever they want. It's theirs, but I'm going to give it to you. Their eyes were like, they didn't know what to do. They just were like dumbfounded. So they put all the groceries in the car. And, uh, they load all the groceries out. The grocery bill comes out. I swipe my card, and we're talking about the things of God. And we get out to the car, and he's like, I don't know where I'm going to fit all this. I have no room because he's got his mother, his, his uh, mother, he's got his two kids, and his trunk was already full. So I said, where do you live? I'm like, please don't be far, please don't be far, please don't be far. He's like, I live on uh, whatever, I won't say the street. So I'm like, took my phone out, Googled it. I'm like, oh, 0.4 miles. I said, I, I said, if you want, I can bring some of the groceries with you. And he's like, oh, he just was blown away. So we pack all the groceries and we drive to his house, we get out and we're bringing the, the groceries on the stoop. The stoop. And I, I wanna take this chair. And so we, we unload the groceries, and the grandmother, it's the boy's great-grandmother, her name's Lucy, she's sitting in the front seat like this, 
with her feet out of the car. And I just came over to her and I said, isn't it awesome what God does? She was so dumbfounded. She just was like, I don't know what to, she's like, I, she literally couldn't like get the words out. And so we found out that one of the boys had an issue, a condition in his side. And, and so I said um, to Jonah, I said, we're going to pray for your brother. And so the uncle, I said, get out here. You know, and he comes out and said, there's a condition you have where your brother told me where if you get hit in the side, you could go to the hospital so he can't play basketball. And I said, we want to pray for you. Is that okay? Yeah. I said, Joan, I want you to go put your hand on the side of your brother, and I'm just going to pray. I didn't lay hands on him, but I said, we're going to pray, and I've got healed it. He looks at me and says, it can't be healed. And his brother, the younger brother, looks and says, you have to have faith, Isaiah. And so we prayed, we talked, we got his number, we pray that they're going to be coming to the Valentine party for the kids because these boys need connection. And I remember getting in my car and driving and being so overwhelmed. In relationship with God, there's a knowing. There's a knowing that God wants to speak to us about. There's seasons in my life where sometimes the knowing is, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I do, I'm going to do it. And then you see later. And then there's a knowledge where God will begin to speak and say, do this. And it only comes by having that relationship with God and knowing what he's going to do. So let's get the emblems ready. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to take part and let that be the altar call today. We're going to take part in communion together. Amen? And so in 1 Corinthians, we have this moment in chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. What I want to do now is because, again, it's about that knowledge. If you feel like you want to tap into the knowledge of what God wants to do in your life and for your family, I'm going to count to three, and I feel like we have to set up a new table. The Lord showed me last night as I was going to bed and I was praying. He showed me tables all around this room, not physical tables, but people just gathering. And so what I want to do is if you're here this morning and you want to, you want to tap into that knowledge of God, I want you to get up and I want you to come find a spot at the altar and we're going to take communion across this sanctuary in a different place. So one, two, three, we have spots in the back. You can come in the aisle. You can come to the altar. You can come up on the platform if we don't have enough room. Just come. If, you, if, you have, if you're a married couple, you can come with your husband and wife. You can come as a family. But just spread out. Spread out. We don't have to, it doesn't just have to be the altar. If you're in the back, go to a spot in the back. That's Okay. If, if we ha need more room up here, let's give some space. We don't have to clump in together, but I just want to set up little areas. If you're here by yourself, join with someone else. That's okay, but just find a spot. This is awesome. If people need to come on the altar in that open spot, that's okay as well. Don't be afraid of the, the uh, platform. But does everyone have the emblems? So let's begin to open them. We're meeting Jesus this morning at his table, the table of sacrifice. You can kneel if you want. If you got bad knees, then just stand. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to hold up the emblem. This represents the body of Jesus, which was broken. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you will ever do, 
that has not been in alignment with God, that has been sin, has been covered because of the broken body of Jesus. Amen? His body was broken. What should have been done to us, he took upon himself because the agape loved us. He wants us to be with him. You are welcome at the table. If you have not, if you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, with eyes open right now, looking at me, because if we can't do it with eyes closed out, and heads bowed in a public church, then we can't live for him out in the public. So if you're looking at me right now, and that's okay if, if no one raises his hand, but if you have never, ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you feel like I'm, I'm at a place where I, I didn't really want to be here, but I'm here, and the word is encouraging me, and you know what? I'm done living in the world. I'm done having an appetite for the Lord. I want you to look at me and just raise your hand quickly. If you've never asked the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, okay, I see a hand back there, and you want to do it now. This is the first time you're going to get to be at the Lord's table. I want you to pray with me right now before we partake. Heavenly, Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I've broken your law. And I recognize that I need a Savior. And so I ask you, Jesus, to come be Lord over my life, to reign over my life, and to confirm the calling that's in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if that was you, you are part of the family of God. Jesus found you today. And so let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your broken body. We thank you for what you've done. And now let's take the cup. Verse 25, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I want us to hold up the cup. This cup, again, is just a, it's, there's nothing magical about the plastic or the liquid, but it's a, it's a representation, it's an emblem that represents the blood of Jesus. When he went up on that cross, was nailed to the cross, his body torn open, that blood that flowed from him when they took a spear and pierced his side and blood and water mixed together and poured out, that blood covers your life, it covers your sin, it covers everything that you've ever done, and we can be at the table. The presence of Jesus is here this morning. He loves you so much, and he has called you. And so, God, we take every person that's standing here. We have made a table in the midst of this sanctuary with you, and we sense your presence here right now. We acknowledge what your blood has done. We acknowledge that it's covered our sins, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the sacrifice of what you've done. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take it together. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just take 30 seconds as Rachel just plays. 30 seconds, just begin to thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Begin to praise him this morning. Your calling is confirmed because Jesus has elected you. He has chosen you. And he wants to speak to you. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you for your word. We thank you, God. 
There is no one unqualified in this room or listening right now. We praise you, God. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. We sit at your table, oh God. We praise you for what you've done. We praise you for what you've done. We thank you, God. We are hungry for you. We are hungry for you. We are hungry for more of you, oh God. Can we stand and just join hands with anyone that's close to you? We're going to close, and we're going to let that be the, our time. That's all I have. That's all the Lord gave. But let's gather hands and just seal what the Lord has spoken. I want to reiterate this again. God wants to speak to you about things that have not yet happened. He wants to give you knowledge of things you've walked through in the past so you can look back and say, I know. The Lord showed me a vision in 2020 of a line of cars driving around the city of Providence and it was cutting through a fabric that was draped over the city. I didn't know what to do, but I just felt like we needed to do a prayer drive. And so I talked to Pastor Richard about it and we prayed and so I just began praying, God, how do we fulfill this? Because you can't just get a line of cars. And I just began thinking we need a police escort, we need all these things. I began telling, people began telling me, you can't do that. The city will never give you a police escort. So I just took it to the Lord in prayer. At that time, Providence was the highest, I think, in the nation with COVID stuff. So we prayed as a church, and we, we, I reached out to the governor, uh, to the mayor, and he gave us permission. Not only did he give me a full police force, he gave us two police cars in the front, one in the back. The mayor showed up for the prayer drive. And Tara and I, before we did it as a church, we got in our cars and we just said, let's just drive around. And we drove around a route and we began weeping in our car. The presence of God just fell. And so I used an app called Map My Ride and I put it on and what it did is it created a route. And so I sent that to the mayor's office. He gave me the number to the person who's in charge of the traffic of the entire state of Rhode Island. And so they, they took the map, the police studied the map. We had the church show up in the parking lot and we drove around with a police escort around the city praying for many things in our city. And what was amazing is after that, we were literally at the bottom of the list of COVID cases. And so I'm only sharing with you, with you that this morning is because God wants to speak to you about things that he wants to do. And it comes from relationship. It comes from abiding. One more verse before I close in prayer. John 15 15. I think, uh, Paul, do you have that up? Does he have it up in the... So look at this. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know, know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Amen. We are not servants, we are friends. Amen. And with that comes access, and it comes through abiding. Yes. When we detach from the things of God, we lose that connection, but when we attach... And we're going to plug into the things of God this morning. And we're going to hear testimonies this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Divine appointments. When we get into that prayer closet, God's going to give those appointments. You're going to walk into a store. You're going to see, uh, uh, there's something here if we abide. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, as we have joined hands across this sanctuary, we pray right now, God, that we are connected as one body. It's not about one man. It's not about me. It's, not, it's about your body. It's about Jesus. God, I pray that as we look at the life of Peter, he went from being well-known to not being known much, but he writes this letter, oh God, and he's ready to give up his life 
but Lord, he's pouring himself out in a letter to the church in unity. And Lord, you see your church standing here today. It's not about one individual person. It's about the body united together. We are going to go out into the harvest fields this week. And Father, I pray that you connect us, that you begin to speak to us. You give us for young men and women, older men and women, whoever it may be, our workplaces, the grocery store, times where we get to pray and be a light to people. And so as our hands are held across this sanctuary, we pray that you seal your word in our hearts. We pray that we would meditate this week, that we would go back and read through this letter so that it becomes in our spirit, oh God. But we, Lord, we look forward to being vessels used by you. You have called us, you have elected us, you have equipped us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday. <laughs>